Well, we're in the middle of a conversation, uh, really a celebration of uh, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So um, uh, on October 31st, uh, 1517, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 debating topics to the church door um, of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And instead of getting a debate, he got a reformation. And 500 years later, we're still wrestling with it and trying to understand how, how much of this applies to us and how does it apply. And so we've been looking at this over the last couple of weeks. And the first thing that... Um, actually, we have to have our picture of uh, Martin Luther. So there we go. So there's Martin Luther. He's our hero, at least for the next couple of weeks. Um, so uh, so Martin Luther reformed the church uh, or kicked off the reformation of the church. But one of the first things we talked about that that makes us uh, still remember with with uh, some significance uh, what happened as a result of Martin Luther's reformation was uh, we got an answer, or at least we clarified our answer to the question of who can speak for God. So the first question we looked at is who can speak for God. Now, on the one hand, anybody can speak for God. I can tell you, you know, God wants you to do this or do that, but. What we saw two weeks ago is that there's an appropriate response, which is to say, show me. Show me in the Bible where God says that. Before you tell me that I should do this or I should quit doing that, show me. And it either better be in the Bible or else it better be a pretty clear um, interpretation of what the Bible actually says. So that was the first thing we looked at. So who can speak for God? Um, is anyone, but it has to be in accordance with what Scripture says. The second question we looked at last week was the question, who can speak to God? And what we saw last week is really, that has two parts. So who can speak to God really has two parts. The first one is, how can anyone speak to God? Because if we've been cut off from God, um, then there's the question of, how can we ever communicate with God? If we, if, if we have been cut off, if we have been put at a distance from God, how can we have any kind of relationship with Him? And so what we saw last week is that Jesus has bridged that gap. Jesus is our great high priest, and a priest is someone who builds a bridge. So Jesus has spanned that chasm. Jesus has grafted us back onto the tree. And there's a lot of images that, that Scripture uses, but what they all have to do is the idea that Jesus is the one who reconnects us to God. So we are able to speak to God by the means that is Jesus and what Jesus has done. So that was the first part of that question. And today we're going to look at the second part of the question, which is um, what qualifies someone to speak for God, uh, to speak to God. So yes, the bridge is there. Yes, I've been grafted back on the tree. But what will happen if I do speak to God? So will God, will God allow me into his presence? Um, do I have to get right with God first? Um, is there anything that I need to do in order to be qualified to speak to God? So that's the second half of last week's question, or it's the question we're going to look at today. What qualifies me to speak to God? And the answer is, nothing qualifies us to speak to God. We don't have to be qualified to speak for God, speak to God, because Jesus qualifies us. That Jesus qualifies us to speak to God, so anyone can speak to God. We don't have to, uh, we don't have to give money to the church. We don't have to start tithing. We don't have to attend every Sunday. We don't have to do anything in order to qualify to speak to God. Now, if you've been around church people very long, you may be skeptical. 
you may say, well, that doesn't remind me of a lot of Christians I know, because a lot of Christians I know have told me I've got to do all kinds of stuff. I have to stop smoking. I've got to stop drinking. I've got to start tithing. I've got to start going to church on Sunday. I've got to quit living together and move out and get married. I've got to, I've got to uh, start coming home from work earlier so I can have dinner with my family. That there's all kinds of things I have to do. If I'm going to try to be a Christian, then there's all kinds of things I need to do. And you may have heard advice like that, that people have told you, if you're going to have any kind of relationship with God, if you think you're going to be speaking to God, then you need to get all kinds of stuff squared away in your life. And if you've ever wondered about that, Christians talk about grace, but they also tell me all these things I need to do. If you've ever wondered about that, then you are part of a great company of witnesses, because this has been going on since the very early part of the Christian movement, the first decade or two after Jesus was raised from the grave. Um, uh, Christians were debating that very issue. And so if you've ever wondered that, how do, how do I reconcile these two things? Uh, grace plus I have to do all these things. Or in particular, if you've ever wondered, how come Christians tell me to do all these things, but when I look at them, they don't seem to be doing them. If you've ever wondered, how come Christians are telling me to do something that they're not doing? then, again, you are in a great company because this has been what's going on in the church for um, not just 500 years we're celebrating, but very close to 2,000 years. So this is, this is the, the question we're going to look at today. And the answer is still the same. The answer is still, we are qualified to speak to God. We're qualified to have a relationship with God. We're qualified to cross that bridge. Not because of anything in us, anything about us, or what we've done, or how we act, or what we think but because of what Jesus has done. So everyone is qualified. So that's still the answer. And what I want to do is I want to look at a place where we see that in the Scriptures. So we're going to be looking at Galatians 5. Uh, Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to the churches. Not Paul's most um, uh, peaceful and loving letter. He's a little bit hot under the collar as he writes it. And the reason is that Paul had, had started some churches in a region called Galatia. Galatia is in the middle part of Asia Minor. So if you think of Asia Minor, it's kind of a rectangle shape. It's kind of the middle third of that rectangle. So that, that region, very roughly, is Galatia. Paul had been there some years before. He'd started some churches. He'd introduced people to Jesus. And then he moved on. He went on about his, his way, um, planting churches all around the Mediterranean world. And when he left, at some point after he had left, some people came in and they said, um, hey, it's great to see that there are people here who follow the Messiah. They were Jews and they said, we've learned who the Messiah is. We have learned after all these centuries, we finally found out who the Messiah is. He's Jesus. And it's great that he is doing the things that the Messiah should do, which is incorporating the, the Gentiles into the family of God. That's great. But I've noticed you're not obeying all the Jewish law. So FYI, you need to get on board with that, you, Gentile, you um, Gentiles, you Galatians. You need to get on board with that and start observing all the Jewish law. So in chapter 4, Paul has dealt with the issue of festivals, that there are certain festivals. There's the Sabbath every week, and then there's uh, Yom Kippur and other Jewish uh, festivals. And they said you have to start observing those because God has always required that of his people. God has always required that you observe the Jewish law as it concerns festivals. And then in chapter 6, Paul is dealing with a second thing, uh, chapter 5, Paul is dealing with the second objection that they brought up, which is the men have to be circumcised. 
There has to be a mark on their body that shows that they have been included in the people of God. And again, this is something that goes all the way back. Uh, Jews have always been circumcised. So, of course, now that you're following the Jewish Messiah, you have to do this. That's what these people told the church in Galatia. Paul writes a, a letter back, and he is not in the happiest of moods when he writes it. So Paul says some some very strong language. But what he says here in chapter 5 is that Christ has set us free. He says, um, okay, uh, so verse 1 of chapter 5, uh, Christ has set us free, and he says, make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So Paul says that what has happened um, is that is that there was a law, it's true, but you have been set free from it, that Christ has set you free from the law, that you have been manumitted, you've been released like a slave, you've been um, untied from your yoke, and Paul says, don't get tied back up again. The word slavery, uh, the, the word tied up, um, he says, don't get tied up again, that is hitched to a yoke, like a draft animal, that, you know, it's a piece of equipment that you attach the plow or the cart to. He says, don't let yourself be yoked again to the law. So Paul's got a lot of different images. He's saying you're a slave. He's saying um, in chapter 4 he was talking about how you are a minor child who is now uh, come of age. Um, and he's also used the language of being a draft animal that's attached to a plow. He says, he says, Christ has set you free from all that. Don't get caught up in it again. And then he says, wait, I need to stop. Before I go on, I need to make sure I'm clear on this. So he says, listen, all right, listen, I, Paul, so he's kind of dropping his authority card on the table, I, Paul, tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, and in chapter 4 he said, or the festivals are really any part of the Jewish law, if you're counting on obedience to the Jewish law to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Let me say that again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. He says, if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. He says there are two deals on the table. You get to pick. You get to pick whichever one you want. One of them is... You obey everything that God has ever commanded. There's 619 commandments in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. You have to obey them all. You have to obey them all perfectly, even on your bad days. In fact, even on the days that already happened. You have to obey them 24-7 with utter perfection. Or, you can have Jesus do it for you. Those are the two deals. There isn't a third deal. You can't have a little of one and a little of the other. He says, Pick whichever one you want, but you can't possibly succeed at the first. So he says, if you go down that path, you will fail. So he says, if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. A couple of years ago, I saw a book, and it's one of those things, I saw the title and I didn't need to read the book because it's just going to go on about the same thing. The title of the book, though, was perfect. It said, Jesus plus something equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what Paul is saying here. 
that you can't add anything to grace. And on one level, we get this, right? If you go to the doctor and he says, I want you to take this medication, 20 milligrams, and you go home and you say, well, he said 20, but if 20 is good, then how about if I just take 10 tablets and get a dose of 200 milligrams? And the next thing you notice, you're in the ER. Somebody has carried you there because you were a mess. So we get that, that sometimes there is too much of a good thing. But Paul says it's, it's, it's even more than that. It's not just a question of too much of a good thing. He says it betrays a misunderstanding. See, we think, look, I, I, I accept. I can't do it. I cannot, I cannot possibly do all those things that the law requires. I can't do them for all the years in the past for sure. And I'm probably going to have bad days in the future. I'm not going to be able to do all 600 um, commandments perfectly. So he says, how about if I do the ones I can do, and Jesus will do the rest? So we, we understand that there's a temptation to think that way. But what, what Paul says is, no, you can't do that. You're, you're not helping. You think you're helping, but you're not. We think it's like, uh, you know, I hurt my arm. It's difficult for me to bring the groceries in from the car. But that nice young Jesus man who lives next door, he's going to bring the groceries in for me, all the ones I can't bring. But I happen to have an apple that fell out of the, the bag, so I'll carry the apple in and Jesus will bring all the other bags in to the house. And Paul's saying, you're missing the point. It's not about, you know, can you carry an apple? Can you, can you do something and Jesus will take care of the rest? It's, it's not bringing the groceries in to your kitchen. It's bringing the groceries to the moon. You can't do it. You know, you could have the apple in your hand all day long, but it's not going to the moon. He says, this is a deep, deep, deep problem. It's not a question of saying how, wh- wh- whether you're better than some people. You keep more of the laws than other people. It's a question of, are you dead or are you alive? Are you connected to God or are you disconnected to God? I used to use an analogy. I used to, uh, when we lived in California, I would say there were rocks off the coast and some people would go out and swim out to the rocks. And I'd say, people think it's like that. If I swim to the rocks, then then I succeed. But I'm not a good swimmer, so I'll swim out past the, the waves, and then Jesus will take me out to the rocks. And, and I used to use this analogy. I would say, no, it's not like swimming to the rocks. It's like swimming to Australia. But I got into conversations with people who said, you know, you could swim to Australia. You know, you'd need, you'd need some support boats and they could, you know, replenish you and you could rest and, you know, keep the sharks away and stuff like that. People start thinking, how can I solve this problem? How can I do it with some help? And so you just have to banish that way of thinking. You have to say, how can I swim to the moon? And I can't. And Paul says, yes, you can't. But Jesus has, and he invites you to trust him for what he's already done. Don't try and I'm going to swim the first 15 feet and then he'll take it from there. You can't do it. It can't be done. So Paul says, don't try. But that leaves us with the question, why do Christians keep telling you to do things? Why do Christians say, you need to stop that bad behavior, you need to start this good behavior? Why is it Christians do that? Well, usually because we care about you. And we, sometimes we're just bossy. Maybe most of the time we're bossy. I don't know. There's some fraction of bossy and some fraction of we care. But 
ultimately, the reason that people sometimes turn to Christ is because they've run out of gas. They've got a problem in their own life, and they're struggling to, to conquer an addiction, to heal a broken relationship. And Christians often wish the same thing for you. And so we sometimes tell you, you need to do that. You need to work on that. There's something that, that is broken in your life and you need to fix it. And unfortunately, we communicate it um, as you need to do that and then Jesus will work in you. But it's actually the opposite. What Paul is saying here is that if you are connected to God, if Jesus reconnects you, if you walk over that bridge, if you let him graft you onto the tree, if Jesus reconnects you to God, that's not the only grace you receive. Yes, it's a gift that he ever connected you in the first place, but that's not where it stops. So Paul goes on, he says, But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. The law was uh, simply a guardian to keep us in check before we had Christ. He says, those ceremonial things don't matter anymore. But he says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. He says, what is important is faith that God will work in you, expressing itself in love. This is trusting that God will do this. This is why we wait eagerly. A, a couple of verses down from here, Paul's going to contrast the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to say, he's going to say, we know what the works of the flesh are. The works of the flesh are all the things we try to do um, and fail at. All the things that we do wrong. And it, he gives a list that spans the gap, everything from, from sorcery at one end to um, quarreling at the other end. So we've got this list of well, every kind of human dysfunction and failing is, is encapsulated in this list that Paul gives. And he says, those are what you do in your flesh. And sometimes we try to solve our problems in the flesh. So we say, you know what? I'm not a sorcerer. So I'll check that off and Jesus will take care of the rest. And Paul says, no, remember, you can't swim to the moon. The problem is you're doing those things out of your own human strength. So, so you, you think you're, you think you're fixed because you didn't quarrel with anybody today. He says, no, the problem is you're working out of the flesh. But he says, if you are connected to God, then the Spirit will bear fruit in your life. So he gives a list of the fruit of the Spirit. He says, it produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, all the things we want are not something we have to just really bear down hard and concentrate and use a lot of self-control to do. He says that these are fruit that God grows in us. That His grace continues to flow to us after we've been reconnected. So He says, don't try harder. Don't try harder on the front end because that's only going to cut you off from God's grace. He says, after that, wait. God's got His timing. God will work in you to make you who he wants to be. He will deal with those. So what do we do with this? This is grace. What do we as Christians do with it? Well, the first thing is to ask yourself, are you still trying to swim to the moon? Because you can't get there. If you think you can swim to the moon, or maybe swim partway to the moon, you're not going to make it. So relax. Let Jesus take you to the moon. Okay. Let Jesus take you to the arms of your Heavenly Father. 
But the other thing you can do is to cut some slack to the people around you, people in the church and people outside the church. Don't expect them to swim to the moon either. There's a pastor I admire, Jim Bergen. And uh, one of the reasons I admire him is that um, his church has um, uh, come up with a phrase, which is me too. And he, it comes from this idea that when, when the resurrection comes, when we're encountering our, our long-lost loved ones in the resurrection, we're going to walk around, we're going to see people from work, we're going to see people from school. And the question that a lot of people are going to be asking when they see you or when they see me is, how did you get here? Right? <laughs> and if we're honest, and it's heaven, so you've got to be honest, we'll say, well... <laughs> There was a time in my life I was trying to swim to the moon, but then I decided I would let Jesus do it for me. Uh, that Jesus cut me a great deal. And they're going to look at you and they'll say, no kidding, me too. And what his church does is say, why wait till heaven to say that? Why not say that today? Why not look at the people around you and say, you know what, Jesus is cutting me a great deal. I bet Jesus is cutting them a great deal too. Why not... Why not communicate in the way I relate to the people around me that they're not going to get to heaven by their own power. They're going to get to heaven the same way I will, which is Jesus is going to cut them a great deal. So, let's be me too Christians. Let's be the kind of people who say, you know what, they're a work in progress. They're waiting for God to bear the fruit that they really want. And I shouldn't tell them what to do. Except with one exception. If you can put me too in a sentence, if you can say, you know what, I used to quarrel. I used to be a sorcerer. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you used to be. And you can put me too in that sentence. Then you can come alongside them and say, you know what, me too. But here's what God's been doing in my life. Here's some things that are working in me because of the way that I've been reconnected with God. You can come along and actually encourage someone instead of scolding them. Right? We don't mean to scold, but we do. So let's be me too Christians. Let's come alongside the people where we can actually say, yeah, me too. I quarrel. I'm envious. I have some of those problems, but here's what God's doing in me. And if you can't, just trust that by, by God's grace, there are people in this church who can do that for us. Just lift people up into prayer. Say, God, bring someone into their life who can say, me too. Let's be me too Christians. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we thank you that you have, um, you have done the work in Christ to reconnect us to yourself. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done. Help us, Lord, to hang on to that. When people tell us we need to fix some part of our life, we need to stop doing this or start doing that, to remember it's not what we do. It's what Christ has done. And then, Lord, give us patience to wait, to eagerly anticipate the way that you will bring righteousness into us once we're connected to you, as we walk through our lives connected to you. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.